The Sex Ed with Tim podcast is recorded on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people. We acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13, signed with the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the Williams Treaty, signed with multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. You're listening to Sex Ed with Tim. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sex Ed with Tim podcast. I am your host, Tim. I am a sex educator. I identify as chaotically gay. And listeners, I have some news. Guess what? I am HIV positive. Oh no. Yeah, I am horny and intensely versatile. <laughs> no, that's so, so dumb. Sorry, Drew. That was stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a horrible joke. <laughs> Well, I'm just gonna laugh by myself. <laughs> so oh, I, did, I didn't want to cut you off. That's no, no, I, it's fine. It's I, fine. I'm smiling over here, but I didn't. Okay. I'm not laughing out loud because I didn't want to be rude to interrupt your flow. <laughs> no, feel free to interrupt. I, I got big, you know, big smiley teeth right now. <laughs> you do. <laughs> oh my god, listeners! That very beautiful hunky voice that you hear on the other end of the mic is none other than pharmacist Drew of the Prep Clinic. Hey, Drew, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I guess I know where to go for the compliments. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was fully going to introduce you as like one of the sexiest pharmacists I've ever laid eyes on, which is like oh. true. You are very good looking. And I was like, okay, I got to have him on my show. He's super smart and everything. So yeah, we're just going to get right into it with your good looking self. Uh, who, First of all, who is Pharmacist Drew? <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me. I I am. My name is Andrew Shambi, but in practice, I go by Pharmacist Drew. Just has a better ring to it, and I work with a lot of Andrews, so it reduces confusion. Um, I am the owner of the Ontario Prevention Clinic, um, and that's kind of what I do. So we're a combined clinic and pharmacy, and we uh, we're the first kind of online based service to uh, access prep and also HIV uh, care as well in in Ontario. Ooh, lovely. And also, like, didn't you win some awards or something? <laughs> yeah, so before um, so before I was working and doing the Ontario Prevention Clinic, I, I won some awards related to, you know, local pride organizations and also nationally for pharmacy work. Um, because our, my work, I do a lot of not just within the, you know, LGBTQ community, but also on sexual health in general and kind of bridging the gap for everyone. So a lot of inclusiveness. So um, I've been recognized nationally in terms of um, getting the message out and and kind of integrating everyone into the conversation on on things like HIV and and testing. Oh my God! Recognized internationally, she's famous. Nationally. Like I've seen, nationally. I've nationally. seen, not, <laughs> no, I've seen your, yet. I've seen your face on like billboards and bus stops. I was like, damn, okay. Like this is the face <laughs> of HIV medication people come through. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I mean something yeah. that's, well, that's paid advertising, right? So it's not really, <laughs> really uh, celebratory on that. But yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Oh my gosh! So I wanted to have you on to talk about HIV because I feel like we as gay men—that's like what our 
the biggest stigma that we have going against us. Mm-hmm. You know, besides the whole sassy attitude, whatever, you know. <laughs> ugh, ugh. But um, HIV is such a, like, it's part of the gay zeitgeist, as I would say. Um, what is HIV, first of all, for those who don't know? So what specifically HIV is? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question because some people, I think if you don't know what it is, something is, and then you have views about it or fears, and that's kind of just perpetuated. Uh, so HIV is a virus. It's known as a retrovirus. So it's a little bit different than some of the typical viruses we know. Uh, it can be acquired through sexual activity. It can be acquired um, through, through childbirth. It can be acquired through, um, you know, sharing needles and um, sharing drug paraphernalia. Um, so there's a lot of different routes of, 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 uh, of transmission for that. Um, even though it is big within, you know, obviously a concern within the gay community, um, it is something that is uh, universal. So and HIV can affect anyone. Uh, and that's one thing I'm, I feel is really important to know because it, A, um, reduces stigma. And it also doesn't leave other people out of the conversation who also could be, offend- be impacted. So like, for example, one in four women uh, who uh, are, are new infections of HIV in Canada. So, I mean it's kind of important to be mindful of that. Uh, but in terms of HIV, yeah, it's a virus, um, very different. Obviously years ago, it was a it's massive crisis um, and uh, they didn't have treatment. There was a lot of stigma, hate, people were suffering. Um, people didn't know what to do. They were, you know, being isolated from other people. Um, and there's a lot of fear and, and unknown from that and a very, very tra- traumatic time. And people, obviously there wasn't treatment. So people if they acquired HIV, there wasn't a cure before. Um, now we're in a time where in 2021, where treatment's very different. Uh, somebody can take a pill every day. Um, they if they're, they become, can become undetectable, which we can touch on in a bit, and not pass on HIV to their partners. And uh, a very different situation today than it was, um, you know, 30 years ago. Wow, we covered so much. Like, that was the most informative sentence I've ever heard, like, just one thing at a time. Oh my god. But that's what we're here for. I love it. No, no, no. I love I love your brain and like I love like this whole conversation and where it's going to go. So, uh first of all, uh just going back to what you said about like it's universal or like it's not just gay men. How do you think HIV became a stigma against gay men specifically? Well, I think early on um they that's how they kind of had found they, they noticed this trend that is that they were you know they were getting um, certain symptoms and presentations um, that was unique to gay men. So initially, it actually was uh, designated before it was called HIV. They designated like a, a, a disease a disease among gay men, essentially gay um, cancer or something before, back right? in the day. Um, yeah. So so since then, um, I mean that's kind of how it all started. Um, we also know there's definitely a, even today there's still a heavily disproportionate impact on. Um, on the queer community, especially among gay, gay men and, and uh, trans women as well. Um, so that's kind of how, I mean, so I guess it's, it's still quite common amongst that population compared to other populations. Um, but uh, we shouldn't ignore that. It, that's only among, uh, among gay men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So like, even if you're like a heterosexual woman or a heterosexual man, you are not immune. I want to make that very clear to anyone listening to this. You are not immune. HIV does not discriminate, which is probably the only good thing about it. You know, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we should be more like HIV. Let's not discriminate against each other. 
Um, yeah, I, I definitely would say that. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, we, in my practice, so we, we, we do HIV care for anyone across uh, Ontario. So we've definitely, when I talk to people, you know, for example, um, cis heterosexual woman who, when they first get their diagnosis, like I, for, it comes out of complete left field. Um, you know, their doctors never talked about it with them. They never tested them and they just were like, oh, I didn't think this happened to, could happen to me. Um, so it's, uh, it's startling. I mean, everyone needs to be included in the conversation for sure. Oh my gosh. And like, that's such a scary thing because like HIV, when you hear those three letters in succession, it can like, you know, really throw you a curveball. Have you seen like the reactions of like new patients, uh, like new diagnoses? Like what's yeah, that yeah. like? Um, we, I mean, a lot of the work we do is in prep. Um, so some people who approach us before they start prep, um, we do get people who get diagnosed with HIV who maybe have never been tested before or not for a very long time. And uh, I think reactions are very, I guess, very individual. Um, and you never know what's happening inside someone's head and what, you know, what they're experiencing. Um, we've had a range. We've had people, you know, who, you know, people break down. We've had people who uh, take it, at least initially, seem to take it very, pretty well. Um, I find the ones who tend to respond a little better to it, they typically are fairly aware of HIV and they understand the treatment options. And usually those patients are very keen to be like, okay, this is what it is. Uh, I want to start treatment like right away. They're super motivated uh, to kind of just keep, you know, keep their lives continuing as as the same, just different. It's, it's such a range and everyone's so different and has their own internal pieces. And even if somebody initially handles it well, um, then, you know, they start to face things like stigma and other, other situations, uh, that maybe they face within the community. Um, they, maybe they don't talk, face things as well. Like I've seen some really nasty, nasty things. Like patients have shown me, friends of mine have shown me, um, that people say, um, door clean. Oh uh, yeah. Oh my goodness. That's like, yeah. we were yeah. honestly thinking of running literally like a campaign, basically saying we are all clean. Like stop this nonsense now. Hell yeah. Uh, it's such a, it's such a bizarre thing and it's so casual. And, and even when I talk to patients on the phone or in person and they say that we're clean to me or they say, Oh, were my results clean? And I just like, I kind of like, my neck kind of twitches. Yeah, I was like, uh, what? And like, what? No, and I, I don't want, but at the same time, you don't want to like judge people because if that's how the culture, that's how their experience has taught them, that's appropriate to say. Um, I don't want to, you know, be rude, but I, I'm usually very aggressive with that saying, you know, just so you know, that's not really the best way to say that and why it's not the right way to say that um, and, uh, and navigating that, yeah. It's, it's such a weird thing to like, you know, appropriate that word with people who are, HIV negative is because it's like what clean is an adjective for a diaper, you know, and you're calling HIV positive people dirty. I mean, they're people. It's it's kind of a combination of things. So there's definitely that you're dehumanizing individuals and you're and you're saying things and stigmatizing and it just doesn't make sense to go in that wording. The other thing is it's a self sabotage. So I find this like circular loop um, with people who um, either don't know their status or are negative. Um, where they, you know, they'll use stigmatizing language, they'll, they'll then project it onto others. And then this kind of comes across as, you know, causing, you know, you know, even, you know, internal hate and internal anxiety about HIV. And then that shifts people to being scared to get tested. Um, or if they get tested, then having this, you know, judgment on themselves, if ever they were to test positive. So it's this like circular loop of just negativity and it doesn't, it doesn't go well. And we really try to educate people on all these things and, and try to get that message across if, as best as we can. Okay. Um, uh, please don't take this next question like horribly, cause I don't know how else to phrase it, but like, since there's so much negative 
why do this in the first place? Like, you personally, I'm asking you personally, like, why get into HIV work in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I can kind of tell you how this all kind of um, started. I, I mean, I'm obviously a gay male. Um, if that wasn't clear from <laughs> rainbow bandanas I wear. I'm you not, have a rainbow bandana yeah, coming out of your mouth. Not, I'm not I'm not doing that for like to, to, <laughs> to attract the, the gay community or just like a market <laughs> who I am. Um, yeah, I, I, I was always very... I was, because I was always closeted. I wasn't very open about my sexuality. Um, I think it's more so just because I have some health is, health issues. So like my dating life's a little bit tricky. So it wasn't that really an issue I had to deal with much. And uh, I was working in central Ontario in Barrie, Ontario, an hour north of Toronto for a little bit. And I had uh, taken over some independent pharmacies and we started, you know, working in more in harm reduction. So I was working with people dealing with opioid uh, addictions and, and managing that. And, and then through that, I started getting connected to um, local HIV organizations and harm reduction organizations. And uh, I saw there was just this gap in LGBTQ care up there, especially like in Toronto, there's a bit better access. But if you even step out like an hour or half an hour outside the city, it becomes kind of tricky. And so um, I just, you know, through that space and seeing the gap and working with the community and, and seeing how much we could help people and um, I just kind of got drawn in. And then even from my own experience in working for this in this area, it's been really a self-discovery. I mean, there's been a selfish aspect to that. I've been able to really be comfortable with myself and understand things and, and get involved in the community, which um, I always kind of felt separate and, and I didn't know if I could be included. And, and I didn't, uh, I wasn't like comfortable with my sexuality for a very long time. I, I didn't really come out or share my um, own um, in identity until I was probably like 25, 26 with people, which is pretty late for a lot of people, especially in 2021, people are very surprised, uh, that it took me so long. So, yeah. I mean, Hey, listeners are probably my listeners, at least are probably going to take away the fact that all they heard was you filling in a gap. So <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Drew is the guy that you want to fill in your gap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, as long as you're not my patient, then I don't get, <laughs> I don't get in trouble with anyone. No. Um, Perfect. Yeah. I'm not your patient, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Oh God. That must be such a weird uh, dynamic, too, because, like, you know, gay men were very, like, you know, sexually active um, and, like, we're very in touch with, like, our sexuality, for, especially for the ones who are, like, out. So, you know, I think being, like, a gay pharmacist who like dispenses prep and then you know you're probably going to get like a lot of people who you've interacted with in the street or something no is that is that yeah, a weird i mean I, yeah it's actually something that i deal with on a regular basis you so do you navigate okay. well you have to navigate it because there's very strict rules of conduct professionally so some people don't think about it you know people realize if it's your doctor obviously you shouldn't be sleeping with your doctor um, <laughs> but i mean i will but you know okay well <laughs> technically like they have they because when you're in a profession when you're a healthcare professional you have like, you have an unfair advantage because you have taken care of their their your someone's health so there's a mod, there's automatically this vulnerability right um, and you can take advantage of that um, so for me um, I don't I, I get I get it a bit um, a lot of our a lot of our work is online or you know we do have in person sometimes as well so I don't really see people 
face to face that much. So I don't get it, but I definitely have had people who, who have booked appointments just to talk to me or who come by the <laughs> clinic and ask me a million questions. And at the end, they ask me if I'm, if I'm seeing anyone, which is kind of like, I mean, I poured my heart out here for half an hour explaining like all this stuff about sexual health to you. And then it's like, you didn't really want any of that. You just wanted to oh, get in my pants. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, but yeah, even as a pharmacist, when you're just dispensing a drug, even if you even barely talk to them, um, I mean, here it's a bit different. We always have more in-depth uh, assessments and conversations, but um, yeah, there's very strict rules of conduct that if you are in that role, you can't. Uh, so basically, um, I can't really date anyone ever again. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, I even I make it worse because I actually go on apps regularly, so I do outreach. Um, oh, so same. I have, yeah, I have like a professional profile. It's just me and like in a pharmacy's garb or me with my little pop Achilles, looking cute, and. Uh, I basically have information there and, and I answer questions and stuff. So people message me sexual health questions and stuff. For the most part, when I first started doing it, I've learned to kind of how to tailor my profile and how to like prevent people from, but I used to always get like dick pics and stuff like the first time I got <laughs> it. And I was like, okay. And then I've tailored my profile now. And I, I typically, it's very unusual for someone to, uh, to try to flirt with me realizing like this is obviously like a professional profile and you're trying to answer questions and help people. Um, I still get the odd ones who still like are very, you know, insistent or will make jokes being like, Oh, you know, come here, pharmacist daddy, you know, things like that. And, and <laughs> I'm just like, daddy. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I don't think those words go together, but um, they, <laughs> they, they have on my, uh, on my apps. Um, so, and it obviously makes it difficult too, because if I'm on there professionally, I can't be on there. Um, you know, dating as well, or, or trying to meet people right. in that profile. So I always make sure to keep that very separate. Um, so I usually use apps that are like more controllable, like Tinder and Hinge that you okay. can't have people just outreach to that I actually have to actively um, swipe through. Swipe and, them. Although, yeah. like I said, some of my patients we haven't seen in person, some of it's online or, or through phone. So I could potentially accidentally swipe someone that is a patient without knowing, <gasps> which is concerning. Oh, yeah, I've got to be very yeah. careful. I have to be very, like, I basically, yeah. I can't date. I can't meet anyone. Oh no. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> oh my God. Like so, honestly, yeah. uh, you know what? Same. Because I uh, do outreach mostly in like the bathhouses and the clubs. And then there's kind of like a dynamic of like being some sort of like beacon of light or a healthcare provider. And then like they open up to you. And then when you're outside and like you take off your uniform, you're just like, you're no longer the outreach guy. And then they're like, so I saw you in the bathhouse. So I'm like, mm. Yeah, it's, well, problematic. it's problematic, right? Because you, <laughs> you, you're, you know, you're reaching them in a different way, and they look at you differently, and you don't want to abuse that, you know, that role, yeah. that responsibility, yeah. and that respect. Yeah, it's a weird dynamic, but this is the, <laughs> these are the cards that were dealt. So, uh, oh well. Um, okay, rewinding a little bit back to HIV. <laughs> I mean, hey, we we love to have fun here, but um, I wanted to ask maybe, do you know exactly how HIV works once it enters the system? Yeah. So, I mean, so essentially with HIV, what it does is it, at the very first, it first would um, target our CD, our CD4 cells. And basically what happens is the virus comes in, it attaches, and then hijacks our machinery to make copies of itself. Um, and in the process of that, Jesus. it's going to, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just like, just like, that's a yeah. scary sounding thing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, 
I mean, I guess it's the clinical way of explaining it, not the softer way. Um, <laughs> and then in the process of that, when it's replicating, it's basically um, as the virus keeps replicating, you get this higher level of virus in the body and that can um, lead to destruction of immune cells. And then if you have enough immune cells being destroyed, um, your body isn't really able to fend off uh, infections as well. And eventually you could even not fend off, you know, if, rare infections that we typically don't really see. Now, that doesn't really happen very often in 2021. It still does. There are still people who don't have access to care or don't know their status. Uh, but most people get on treatment very quickly uh, to prevent that from happening. And uh, that's why that's why if ever somebody does have an HIV diagnosis, you need to start um, treatment like right away. Um, years ago, yeah, years ago, they used to say, oh, well, we can maybe watch and see how the virus level goes or how it affects the immune cells and different things. We don't do that anymore. Um, it's It should be started right away. Right, right. And you said CD4, is that like basically the good cells that you want? That you, yeah, you it's, basically part, it's basically part of our immune system and it's involved in how our body fights off infections and identifies infections. Okay, so more CD4 means good. Yeah, so you want to hire, so basically they'll monitor, I mean, they'll look at CD8, CD4, and they'll do ratios and more complicated evaluations. But in basic, yes, they'll be looking at your CD4 count. They want to make sure that it's above a certain threshold um, and it stays there. And if you start to drop below, they they have they know that, you know, they'll have to monitor okay. you compare things a little differently. Okay, yeah. I'm just looking at, like, my HIV notes here, and I'm still, like, you know, shocked at, like, at least the research that I did you know, on my own, but hey, that's why I have you here, right? So um, mm -hmm. I also wrote down here, like, um, AIDS specifically, like, yeah. I know HIV and AIDS are two very different things, but what, but they always go together whenever we talk about, you know, HIV or AIDS, or when people say HIV AIDS, what exactly is the difference between the two? Yeah, um, so HIV is the virus specifically. So someone who acquires HIV isn't doesn't automatically have AIDS. Um, AIDS is um, what somebody uh, can progress to um, as a result of having an HIV infection. So HIV does not equal AIDS, but HIV can lead to AIDS. Um, AIDS is basically when the, that CD4 count, when those immune cells drop to such a low level, um, there's a threshold that when you're below that, then that's that's a definition for AIDS. Um, also, when people start to experience um, certain uh, illnesses or infections that are un that are that are more what they kind of consider AIDS-defining illnesses that somebody would have, um, and that's how you'd have it. So, uh, I still think it's important to mention to talk about HIV and AIDS, and that's why a lot of organizations you'll often see will say HIV slash AIDS. We don't want to just forget that AIDS doesn't exist. Um, there's a lot. There are people who definitely are diagnosed late because they don't know their status or because they don't have access to care or they've had a lot of challenges with care as well. Um, so just to make that clear, but yeah, HIV and AIDS are different and people um, often even today, I hear people mix, you know, mixing things up and not understanding the difference. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, let me repeat that just so I know that I got it. You know, I'm a sex educator, but I never said I was a good one. So um, <laughs> let me let me see if I, I got this right. So HIV is the virus and mm -hmm. HIV, when it goes into your system, it replicates and makes many, many copies, mm -hmm. lowering your CD4 cells, which is the good cells that you want because it's part of your immune system. Mm -hmm. But if you have low a low CD4 cell count, that's going to lead to AIDS. Is that right? 
Yeah, if it dropped enough to that, yes, I could. That's correct. Yay, A+. plus. That's a very good summary and probably a better way to summarize it. Oh my god, yes. And like you're a professor, so can I, I get know, a good grade? I teach college too, so it's just it's <laughs> hard sometimes to just be like, you know, just be right up front, just say it out there. You don't have to say a million words to make it come across. <laughs> but um, that's something I always I always work on. Right. So simplify things and like make yeah. it easy to understand. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So do I pass, Professor Drew? <laughs> uh, we'll give you an A plus. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> okay, so uh Earlier in the conversation, we you were mentioning about like HIV transmission. What are the most common ways that the virus is transmitted? I mean, through sexual activity for sure is a, a route of transmission. Um, when we talk about you know we talk about gay men being risks, uh, being at risk potentially, um, anal sex is one of the highest sex, is is the highest sexual risk uh, for it. Um, so re- receiving, so if you're bottoming, if you're receptive anal sex or you're bottoming, would be the highest risk of the uh, sexual risk factors. Um, there's Wait, other when you're when you're bottoming for an HIV positive top. Yeah, so if the person if the person who is the t- is a top and has HIV and is not on treatment and doesn't know their status, things like that, um, that would be the highest risk of uh, transmission. Okay. okay. Yeah, and um, yeah, being a top still, there's risk of transmission. People who are only top still potentially can get HIV, so it's important. So if people are thinking of things like prep and things like that. It's not just for someone who's a bottom. Um, and then other risk factors are, you know, if you're sharing needles, if you're, um, you, if you're sharing drug paraphernalia as well. Uh, so if somebody is, you know, snorting something using the same tool to do that, um, that would even be a potential risk of transmission as well. Um, there's obviously risks as well, um, outside of gay men. So things like, um, childbirth, um, and potentially, uh, breastfeeding or chest feeding are potential risk factors as well. Wow. You can give your infant. HIV by breastfeeding? So there is potential um, transmission through that root of root of root. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, poor baby. Now I got sad. Okay. Let's let, come on, Tim. Let's get, let's get happy again. This is a sex ed with Tim podcast. It's all about comedy and sex and making it lighthearted. No, um, no that's, that sucks. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, that's why it's really important, you know, that everyone's in the conversation on HIV. This once again highlights that importance of it, that it's Mm -hmm. not just within a certain community, but definitely, you know, you want to not ignore the community either. No, for sure. What about oral sex? Yeah, oral sex is really an interesting conversation. So a lot of people um, receiving oral sex, so someone giving you a blowjob, really should not be a risk of transmission for HIV, um, unless for some reason there was like a big cut on a person's, you know, penis or, or in the person had big cuts in their mouth, that'd be a very unusual situation. <laughs> and then receiving orals, receiving, um, giving a blowjob. So if you're actually sucking someone out, else, um, there, it's considered a theoretical risk of transmission. So theoretical risk basically means that it seems like it doesn't happen, but there's been reports of it. So we say it can happen. Um, there are things that would potentially increase the risk of it. If somebody, you know, had, you know, sores in their mouth or, or had some, you know, issues with what if, mouth. what if I just am going to start giving head immediately after I came from the dentist? 
I mean, that's an interesting. I don't think I don't know if anyone's looked into <laughs> like, let's, let's follow up patients directly from the dentist. But like, generally speaking, you shouldn't have like open wounds and open things after that. Uh, I mean, but like the dentist little, is yeah. always poking around in my fucking gums, and I'm just like, I mean, why? They just, yeah, they just did some cleaning and then it bled a little, and then it kind of dried up. Your, I mean, your your body will clot and close that up pretty quick. Um, but yeah, if somebody was to, was to have like a lot of, let's say somebody was HIV positive. And they had a large amount of virus in their body. They were on treatment and then they ejaculated a lot. And then you had sores in your mouth Yum. and things like that. Um, I, there's possibility of transmission. There have been case reports of it happening. So we never say it's impossible. But at the same point, if somebody's only sexual risk is is, is blowjobs or oral sex, we don't recommend prep for those people because it it doesn't typically make sense. Um, so, okay. Good to know. So I can still give an HIV positive guy a blowjob and like not worry too much. Yeah, I mean, we never say it's impossible, but we don't typically worry about okay. it. And somebody right. is going in for an HIV test with us, even, and they say, "Well, my only risk is oral sex." Like we're anticipating it will be negative. Okay, I mean, I'm just asking a medical professional just so I know when and when not to swallow. So thank you for letting me know about that. <laughs> We'll be right back after this commercial break. Yes. Hello, all my little sluts. It's me, Mama Slut. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just wanted to hop on here real quick to let you in on a sexy little deal. Do you like feeling sexy and looking sexy? Of course you do. Only my listeners are sexy as fuck. I have partnered with fetishwear designer Dale Kuda to bring you the hottest deals on custom jock straps, harnesses, hats, and more. Head over to dalekuda.com, that's D-A-L-E-K-U-D-A.com, and use code SEXEDWITHTIM at checkout for 25% off the entire store. Yeah, you heard me, 25% off. And cherry on top. Free shipping, oh my god. <laughs> I have a few of the stuff that he has made for me, and girl, I'm wearing it right now. I'm wearing like a little jock strap so that I could easily just like slip a little butt plug or dildo every now and then here and there, and I'm on the train. I'm just like, uh, 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 thank you, Dale. <laughs> That's dalecuda.com with the code SEXEDWITHTIM for 25% off your entire purchase with free shipping. With a deal like that, I swear I could come buckets, honey. <laughs> hey, you disgusting pervs. We all like sex toys, right? Nipple clamps, vibrators, masturbators, oh my. Good For Her has one of the best selection of sex toys, learning resources, online workshops, and gender expression materials you can't find anywhere else. Go to goodforher.com and use code SEXEDWITHTIM10 for 10% off your purchase of any of the toys bought online. That's G-O-O-D-F-O-R-H-E-R.com and the code S-E-X-E-D-W-I-T-H-T-I-M-1-0 at checkout for 10% off your purchase of any of the toys bought online. And they ship worldwide. Trans-inclusive, feminist, and pleasure-focused, Good For Her has been doing the Lord's work since 1997, bringing you everything you need to get that... Uh... Uh... The show is about to begin. Yes. Okay, um, so that's transmission. So 
I want to shift the conversation to reducing transmission. What are some of the ways that we can stop this fucking virus from spreading around too much? Yeah, I mean, the best way for pre- for prevention, and this isn't really often focused, people always like, even though I, we do prep, everyone focus on prep as like this golden thing you need to focus on. I mean, I'm very focused in my work on what really does uh, stop uh, transmission, which is getting people tested because one in seven people living with HIV in Canada don't know and getting them on treatment. Um, because if somebody is on effective treatment, um, they cannot pass on the virus. If you could determine everyone in the country or everyone in the world uh, who has HIV and get them on treatment, that's the best way. Um, certainly condoms work, work well. If somebody has an intact condom, um, HIV will not pass through that condom. The problem is condoms can break, condoms can fail. Uh, sometimes they're not used properly. Sometimes, um, you know, not everyone wants to use a condom. Sometimes it doesn't work for people. Uh, it obviously impacts on pleasure and different factors and people don't want to use them. Um, and of course, finally, you know, obviously prep, uh, if somebody wants to, who's HIV negative, there's a prescription medication you can take that prevents HIV. Uh, if, uh, if a person goes on, it works very, very well. And there's PEP, which is post-exposure prophylaxis. So that's the emergency medication someone takes after they've had a risk. So that's different from PEP. This is something, sorry, sorry, different from PrEP. This is something somebody would take uh, after a risk has happened within 72 hours. Um, And those are the main ways. The other thing would be also to not share uh, needles and sharing drug paraphernalia. So if you're ever, you know, engaging in any kind of uh, recreational drug use that you aren't sharing uh, equipment. Yeah, don't share your vaccine, your COVID vaccination needles, people. Do not no, do that ever. <laughs> no, we don't. And definitely, you know, some places you can get safe needle exchange uh, to get new needles and things like that. So definitely take advantage of those if they're available in your community. Okay, very good to know. Okay, uh, I'm just going to repeat that for myself and for the viewers. Prep, pre-exposure prophylaxis, only if you're HIV negative, condoms, and there's post-exposure post-exposure prophylaxis, which is what you take in the event of a fear of transmission. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yay. Oh my God. I am on a roll. I am going to pass this semester. And I don't have to sleep with the professor to do it. (laughs) You know, that's, that's, that's the hard way, you know, that's the hard way. Um, No extra, no extra, no after school extra credit either. Right. Oh, Um, perfect. (laughs) Because I can go to sleep after the lecture. My goodness. (laughs) One thing I do want to just interject there as well to mention is we talk about people not knowing that they have HIV and that's because a lot of people don't have symptoms early on. So some people, yeah. So some people, when they first acquire HIV, they may have symptoms in the first two to four weeks after. So things like a high fever, rash, weight loss, they might feel like it's like the worst flu ever. Is how Ooh, I heard people. weight loss. Mm. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, and, uh, but some, not everyone gets that. And some people it's minor, so they don't really realize it. And it may not be for a very long time until they start having, you know, their immune system has been affected significantly to notice anything. Uh, so it's important to always get tested. That's the only way to know. And not to be one of those people who thinks, oh, this doesn't happen to me. That only happens to certain types of people. Once again, this stigma and this projection. Um, and I see that a lot in practice. Um, even when people just get any kind of SDBBI, so any kind of infection, even if someone gets like, you know, gonorrhea or something, um, people are, are A, very surprised. I mean, even if you're, you're being sexually active, it can happen. Life happens. Uh, it's just part of it. And um, there's also this, well, I didn't think it happened to me or, or oh, that wouldn't happen to me because I, I, I just, you know, you know, I don't have sex enough or whatever. And people need to realize it's, there's not a type of person and HIV can happen if you have sex once. 
oh my god, that one time when I decided to give it up to my husband or something. Oh no. <laughs> well, it, that's yeah. I mean, that's people need to be you know realize that, and I think a lot of there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding about that. Right. So always regularly get checked and then start treatment right away uh, as soon as possible. Yeah. I mean, because I, I've, I've talked to people on apps even. Sometimes I'll see, you know, on Grinder and Scruff, it says how, you know, it'll, you, it allows you to say when you were last tested. And mm, which who, I love. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's great. But there are people who put negative who haven't been tested possibly ever. Over a year. Or, or in years. <laughs> um and so I've definitely seen people like I don't enge- I don't actively antagonize people. I, I wait for people to reach me, but sometimes I'll bring it up. Like if there's something in their profile that doesn't make sense to me. Um, so somebody, you know, saying that they were last tested, ne- says negative and last testing was like 2019. And I'll be like, you know, just a heads up, you know, if you've been active more recently, unless you haven't been active since 2019, that's not really your updated status, probably. You're right? not an HIV or you Mormon. Don't know. Or you you can't know? You're not <laughs> you're not like knocking on profiles and being like, have you heard about prep or like <laughs> uh, no, I don't I don't do that. Um, no. I, I I like I I have the information. So usually my profile I list about U equals U and I talk about like testing and I talk about prep. Um, and then people can ask the questions they want. Um, I get people asking me a lot. Usually they'll ask me actually if I'm if I if I have HIV. Um, uh, I guess they I think it's a combination of a um, they're curious because of like U equals U in my post and they're trying to understand where I'm coming from. And maybe it's also because there's some sort of stigma of this person trying to screen me before trying to approach me to date or something or, or, or hook up with. Um, I mean, both, I mean, aren't great probably, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, and I kind of, I, I just feel it's very, I feel like even though, I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm negative, um, but it's very invasive, even just, for that and I find it's you know there's you know people have to ask people the right questions and if yeah. you want to know someone's status the best thing for my personal recommendation is you share yours and if that person wants to share it back great if they don't well it's none of your business mm-hmm. oh I want to share like a really quick tiny story so I was on scruff one time while I was on my travels because you know I'm this was pre-covid and I'm just like I really need to get out of here um I ran into this guy who messaged me and he was HIV positive but he was like on treatment which we should probably like confirm that treatment as prevention and prep are two very different things people put that on their profiles for some reason i don't know why um but uh yeah he was on treatment and i'm on prep and then he wanted to have bareback sex but i was like i know but like i would rather have condoms on and then he blocked me and i was like what what i don't what what was that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a couple of things going on here. One, um, people have to understand that if somebody wants to use a condom, it's not necessarily because uh, they're concerned of someone's HIV status. Um, I, for me, like if I'm with somebody undetecting someone, obviously if they're undetectable, I wouldn't, the condom wouldn't be the reason, like I wouldn't use a condom for that reason. But if you don't know if they have gonorrhea or chlamydia or syphilis or something else, I mean, that's why we have condoms. Even people who are living with HIV, this is, I've talked to some people who are on prep and stuff, and they're very surprised to learn this. Uh, people living with HIV who they wear condoms to try to prevent getting syphilis or gonorrhea from other people who are um, HIV negative. Um, so you mean to tell me prep doesn't protect you against other STIs? <laughs> no, it doesn't. What? No, no it doesn't. way. Um, Mind but... blown. <laughs> it doesn't, but I mean, at the same time. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stigma around prep, though. People are like, "Oh, well, you're on prep, so it means you're going to be more active, and and you're and they'll judge you, and they'll say, oh, you're you know, 
slut or a whore or whatever they want to slut shame Which or whatever it is. I own those titles, but you know. No, mm. but I mean, I don't, I guess, yeah, it's true, but people are using it kind of in nasty, negative ways, not as Sassy, an empower- catty. Mm. They're not using it as an empowering way. Yes, saying I am a proud slut. It's not like being used. It's being used as a derogatory way to try to demean somebody who's going actively out of their way to try to protect themselves. And and it's 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 a lot of work. You have to go on medication. You have to be monitored. You have to commit to this. Um, and I always liken it to if, so, if ever there was an HIV vaccine and how differently people would view that. If there was an HIV vaccine, everyone would be like, oh, it's, you should go on this. Everyone should take this. You're being responsible. But somehow if you're on PrEP, which essentially is protecting you in a similar way to a vaccine, you're being judged. And I find that so mind boggling working in this mm. space, working in this field. And uh, I just always find that very uh, odd. I, am, I think it's very great when people take, you know, empowerment of their sexual health and they go on PrEP or you know, or they choose to use a condom or whatever they do. It's, I think it's fantastic. Uh, I love that because like I'm on prep too, and I've been like HIV negative my entire life. Um, but I'll be honest, I'm not exactly sure how prep works. So can you like explain and go a little bit into that more? Yeah. I mean, so basically prep, um, it does even, I, I did like a comparison to vaccines, but only in the sense that both would cause protection. Uh, PrEP is basically similar to HIV treatment medication. Um, how it works is it basically prevents the ability, if HIV was to enter the body, to be able to make copies of itself. So it can't actually cause an infection. So when you take PrEP, that drug is in your body, it's in your, in your bloodstream, and it's in cells in our body that we want to protect. Um, so when HIV tries to come in and make copies of itself, it's not really, it's not able to because it blocks something in that process to do that. And how is PEP different from PrEP? So PEP, so PrEP is not, PrEP is basically a, a single drug that has a combination. It's a combination pill of two drugs inside of it. Um, that's sufficient for PrEP, but for PEP, um, PrEP by itself is not enough. Uh, you would need PrEP plus something else. And that's why we typically tell people to go emerge or go to an urgent care clinic to access that. And we don't have a lot of studies on PEP because it's hard to, to study that. You can't tell someone who's in an emergency saying, well, you can have PEP, but you can't because we want to see what happens. Uh, but basically, it's a similar idea. It's basically trying to prevent uh, the ability for that virus to be able to take a hold in the body and cause an infection. And there's a window period to try to control that. And that's within the three-day window after a risk has happened earlier, the better. Okay. Um Speaking from a Canadian perspective, how would I go about accessing PrEP? Like, say, let's say I didn't have PrEP or PEP. How would I go about accessing those drugs? Yeah, I mean, well, technically, if someone has a family doctor, um, they can access it through their family doctor. The problem, obviously, is can you get a doctor that that you're comfortable with? Can you get a doctor that you, that uh, is understanding of you know the medication, knows how to prescribe it? Um, it isn't something that you should have to go to a specialty clinic for. It isn't something you'd have to go to a specialist for. We do. We are an Ontario-wide service. So if somebody wanted to access PrEP and didn't have a supportive care provider or a doctor at all, um, they can just have a phone appointment with us. It's online and they can get started through us. Um, but if you have somebody who who can prescribe it, even better. Um so typically, yeah, you're looking at either online care providers. Uh, we were the first one in Ontario, actually the first one in Canada, although we just do Ontario. There's a few others that have popped up since. Uh, there's things like OnMan and Freddy and different ones. Uh, and then there's uh, obviously your your possibly your local HIV AIDS organization if they have some sort of service or your local sexual health clinics. Some of them have services for this. A lot don't. Wow. Okay. So that's a lot of things available for us to reduce um, the HIV transmission. 
So I go to all these things and I, I do my due diligence and, you know, I go on prep, I use condoms, I, you know, do everything. And yet I still get HIV. What next? How do I like react or like, what are my next steps? What's my treatment options? What happens? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I would say generally it's it's unusual for someone who takes PrEP every day as prescribed. Um, the issue with these meds is you have to take them consistently. Every single uh, day. Yeah. There's other there's other ways to take it. There's an on-demand method where people can take it more aligned with the risk as well. Um, but it's, I mean, if so, it's unusual for that to happen. However, it still can happen. There have been rare reports of it happening. Um, and in terms of that, the best thing to do is, you know, get linked to care right away. So, you know, get referred to it. You typically will be handled by a specialist. There are some family doctors who do handle HIV care, but usually you'll be connected to an HIV specialist, typically connected to a hospital. They'll want to do a series of lab work on you just to make sure, you know, which is the right medication for you, um, get to know your body and get to know how, you know, how other aspects are, are going. Um, and they'll want you to get started right away. Some, some doctors, most doctors will actually even just prescribe you something right away to get started. Um, it can be, it definitely can be overwhelming at first. Um, if you are connected to the right resources, often you'll be connected to counselors, other social, social, social supports. Uh, if there are some concerns regarding affordability of the medication, depending on the province you're in, it kind of ranges. Um, for some provinces, it's pretty accessible and very easy. Uh, there's other provinces where you have to kind of look towards coverage options and try to navigate that. If you are in Ontario and you ever have these challenges, you definitely can reach out to us. Uh, so once again, we're the Ontario, Ontario Prevention Clinic. Um, but Shameless if, plug. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I, I, I said it, to be honest, just as a, like, I'm talking about, oh, we'll get connected to this, but where do we go? <laughs> and because we have such breadth across the province and we're so accessible, like, um, that's why I kind of give a shout out. I didn't, even when we talked about prep, I didn't really push us that hard. I even mentioned some of our, I guess, quotations, competitors. Competitors. Um, be, you know, <laughs> no, but hey, there. plug everything that you want, Pharma Drew. Yeah. I mean, I will say one thing about competitors and different services. So we went, we had done this, I had launched a service back in 2019 and we were the first to do it. And we made sure I took about a year before launching it to make sure everything was being done properly. And we had the right team in place, the right prescribers. And with that, um, one thing that has come up a lot, especially recently, I know we're talking about HIV, but it's important too, is um, getting screened for all sexually related infections. So we call them STBBIs um, because a lot of online prep service providers um, do not offer swab testing. So uh, for things like gonorrhea, chlamydia, they're just doing blood and urine for your, for your testing and it will miss um, whether you have a, an STBBI in your throat or in your rectal area. And we are the only online service provider that does provide all those. So I do want to make that very clear that that is important. And also it's even further important because if you have an STBBI, um, it increases the risk of HIV transmission as well. Wait, what? So if I have chlamydia, I'm more prone to getting HIV? Yeah. So if, if typically, um, yeah, if somebody has uh, gonorrhea, chlamydia or syphilis, especially, um, it can increase the risk of, uh, of transmission. How does that work? Um, just the nature of how the, the, the cells, are, the bacterial cells affect that area of the body. Um, it just makes it easier to, to spread. Is um, HIV like piggybacking off of these other like STIs? Like, come on, get your own ride. Stay in your own lane, HIV, please. Yeah, we have that. The same thing happens with uh, hepatitis C, which is a viral infection. It's usually more associated with uh, recreational drug use and intravenous drug use, uh, sharing things. Uh, and that also, there's a, a large uh, percentage of people who, if they have HIV, may also have hep hepatitis C as well. And it's the same kind of situation. 
Oh my god. Okay, that's kind of scary, but let's like dial it back to something a little more like. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> like, I feel like I'm like the I'm bringing all like you're bringing all the jokes, and I'm bringing this. Oh, you're getting the, the this, cruelty. Watch out for this. Hey, you know what? We balance um, each other out. We, we, the audience needs to go on a wild <laughs> ride in this episode right now. I'm the pharmacist of doom. <laughs> oh, that's a very Halloween-y, like, yeah. you know, cosplay. Yeah, I, I usually do cosplay, so maybe I'll do, maybe I should do that. Yeah, I mean, put on your lab coat and then put a harness on like any other gay guy and call yourself a costume. <laughs> no, I've been, I don't, I, I've never done uh, those kind of costumes. I usually do like superheroes. I'm big into that. So, I mean, you are you, not all heroes wear capes. Some <laughs> wear lab coats, you know? Right? There we go. Be super fun with this next year. Exactly. Why not? So, uh, going back to talking about treatment. So, for whatever reason, I turn out to be HIV positive. I'm going to stay cool. My treatment options are like different medications or something. Yeah, so typically it depends. Um, if somebody's newly diagnosed and it's very early in infection, um, typically you would start one pill most commonly. So there's all-in-one combination pills. Um, back in the day, people used to be taking multiple, like tons of pills per day, uh, multiple times per day. Um, now in 2021, majority of folks will be on one single pill every day. Um, generally, very generally pretty well tolerated. Um, you know, people do pretty well. And for a lot of people, they, when they take their medication, uh, it's like taking any other medication where it's like, you know, someone has blood pressure or something where you just take your pill every day. It keeps your, you know, you keep, it keeps you healthy and, uh, and you go from there. Cause I was doing some research on past medication for HIV and I read about AZT. Uh, yeah. So there were, I mean, there were some early ones that made people really sick and there were some people who, you know, who had HIV at the time and they're like, you know, the, the pills make them feel even worse than, and how they already were feeling on top of things, especially during a time when things were uh, experimental. Um, but uh, like I said, most of the medications today people do pretty well. If if you aren't tolerating your medication, because we definitely have people who start pills and it does not sit well in them, or they start to develop side effects later on after being on it for a while, um, you just have to, it's just about finding the right regimen that works best for you. Mm-hmm. Um, now, not every single person living with HIV is going to just be on one single pill, depending on, you know, their history and, uh, you know, of, of the medication use and, and various factors. Um, but most people, if it's newly diagnosed, you're looking at a, a single pill regimen. And now we even have an injectable option as well. Um, really? Yeah. So we've had pills for a while. Um, and now more recently for people who are uh, undetectable or have, you know, they're on medication and the virus is controlled to such that to, to such a low level, um, they can actually switch to a monthly or bi-monthly injection. So if they don't want to take pills every day, which a lot of people don't want to, um, they can actually switch to a, a injection option. Um, not a lot of great coverage options for that if you don't have private insurance, uh, which is unfortunate, but hopefully uh, eventually, you know, provinces will be able to offer it to more people. I mean, I like the idea of a shot, but also I like taking my one pill a day prep only to have a reason to be like, I got to take my birth control, you know, (laughs) I'm preventing the birth of HIV in my system. So technically, (laughs) yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I, I I look at prep similar to kind of actually to like a a contraception, very similar, right? you know, that, and that's why I always find it crazy that there's so much stigma against prep because, you know, they used to, they used to say that back in the day when, when, especially back in the more commonly cis women would take uh, the pill and it was like, oh, a lot of slut shaming. And then it's like, okay, mm. well, now if you if you said that to somebody, they'd be like uh, very offended. But for some reason, it's okay to take prep and then do the same thing now. 
That's fine. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, you know what? We haven't learned. Like, I'm going to take prep so I can have sex with more guys. So you're missing out. Um, You know, Uh, I was also wondering because um, we've been dropping some terms here. Um, We're using the word treatment rather than the word cure. So there is no way to like eradicate the virus in our system, right? It's only to manage the amount of HIV in our system. Yeah, so at this point, um, we don't have a a clear, effective cure uh, for HIV. What we do do is we suppress the virus to a low level um, so that when you go in for blood work, um, ideally someone reaches a point where it can't be detected in blood work called undetectable. Undetectable does not mean the virus is gone completely from that person. It may may be staying latent somewhere. It stays in different little reservoirs in our body um, where if you were to stop your medication, eventually the virus would come back. Um, so a person needs to keep taking their medication. Now, there have been, you know, a couple situations where you probably heard in the media about where someone, you know, had like a stem cell transplant who had was living with HIV and then they don't have it anymore. That's not really um, a mechanism of considered treatment for HIV in at this time. Um, and it's a very it's a very harsh way to kind of go through something. Um, and also they are still monitoring those patients very closely. I think it was two they've had so far. Could be wrong, might be more. And uh, I mean, as of it seems so far that they haven't been, that hasn't really returned. Um, they are always looking at more and more uh, different treatments and options. Um, I mean, ideally they come up with the cure at some point. It's, it's very tr- tricky because the virus can hide, it can mutate. Um, so um, there's still a lot of work to be done in that, in that space. Mm-hmm. But in like the real world or what's happening right now, there is no cure, but you're ideal situation as an HIV positive person is to stay on treatment and get your viral load down to an undetectable level? Yeah. So ideally it's just to get on treatment period. Because the second you go on treatment, when you start to suppress that virus, you already are reducing your risk of transmission right off the gate. Mm. So even if you're not infectable yet. Um, and then when you Which are- Which is where you equals you comes from, right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So there's, supr- there's, there's suppression and then there's becoming undetectable. So suppressing the virus, um, you know, helps to lower it but then when you when you reach a certain threshold of that virus being suppressed uh you become um undetectable um and someone who is undetectable will not pass on the virus sexually to a partner um we also obviously we also talk in terms of everyone so we also talk in terms of pregnancy as well and it would not be transmitted to a uh, a baby as well so um huge breakthrough Huge breakthrough. Oh, it's also it's also important for stigma as well, um, because there's a lot of stigma about you know having somebody a partner who's living with HIV, and to be able to know this and to be able to be aware of this, it really breaks down a lot of barriers, and it's um, I, it's very empowering. I think because I talk to a lot of people living with HIV on a regular basis, and it's very empowering for them to be able to share that message. We're very proud of that message, and and we make sure at our clinic to really. Uh, push that to not just people who are living with HIV, but people who are who are who are negative or at risk, so they know how to understand it if they ever a were to be diagnosed, and b so that they can interact properly and well with their with their with their uh, colleagues and friends and and partners and fuck buddies, you know, anyone fuck they want to, yeah, <laughs> you know. I was to be like, I was I was about to say that, and I kind of was like, do it. Like, I'm <laughs> here to be like, no, you still have a you know professional designation. You have a you have a professional reputation yeah. to uphold, which I get, but there is no, no professionality I'm, here on the show. So. No, no. We're pretty look. I'm pretty casual, and like when people talk to us, and like you know, we I definitely use more casual 
uh, lingo when it's one-on-one with the patient. Like, do you have uh, a sore on your cock? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if I say it. I mean, but we definitely use, like, instead of saying oral sex, we'll say blowjobs, things like that. Um, but, mm. I mean, on a podcast or something where I'm being recorded, where this can be shown to the <laughs> I tend to be a little bit more restrictive. But, no, I'm definitely much more casual um, when it's like a one-on-one situation, I want which to- I like because yeah. when we go to doctors, it feels like I have to use the medical jargon. It's like I can't say blowjob. Do I say fellatio or? Like- <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, honestly, I feel like I guess just because the way I position myself and I'm always out there, and people kind of know who I am. I think a lot by now. Not everyone does, but a lot of people do. Uh, so they feel very comfortable in sharing, and people share a lot, like a lot, very, very detailed. And, uh, and they can tell, like when they talk to me, you think nothing phases me, nothing, because I've heard so much, like I've heard so many different situations and experiences, um, that, um, I don't even blink an eye. So someone can tell me, you know, that, you know, they had, you know, so many people inside them and this happened and this, <laughs> this maybe fell out or that happened or this happened or, or, you know, whatever. And I just, I'm like, okay, cool. You know? <laughs> I love that because like, it's such a casual thing. It's like. Yeah, I'm really just coming home from a bukkake right now, so I need some pep. Like, <laughs> I love that. Uh, oh my goodness, most of my yeah, most of my um my sexual partners who are like more shameless like that, they just happen to be like HIV positive, and like they happen to be hot and fit for whatever reason. I guess like that means they're on top of their treatment regimen. I'm like, you know what? I would rather have sex with an HIV positive person because they seem way happier with their life than like some guy who's lying about being negative. You know, I'd rather have that, you know, transparency. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I look, I, I, I don't, I kind of lean there in some ways, but I mean, I don't, I would never compare someone, you know, someone being better or worse because they're negative or <laughs> positive or whatever. But I mean, let's be, let's be clear though somebody who is undetectable is knows their status you know you know exactly you know how to, that. how to plan and do things and with with somebody who just says oh i'm negative they have no idea some of these people um so i guess there's i mean there's that and there's that knowing but i mean i don't i don't i don't think people should actively just chase someone or find someone that's you know undetectable because then i know and it's like that i don't think that's really healthy i mean either. i'm not a bug chaser if that's what you're well, thinking yeah, farmer well, drew come on well, <laughs> you're, well, you're, well you're obviously not chasing any anything because <laughs> the person's undetectable so you wouldn't acquire it um but yeah I, I it's it's interesting uh it's definitely very interesting when i hear people and also one thing that comes up a lot is once again i want to get very clear U equals U, undetectable, untransmittable. This is a zero risk factor. If the person is taking their medication and is undetectable, they will not transmit it. And even though literally our prep bottles literally have stickers saying U equals U on them, I provide information. We always educate on it. We counsel on it. I still get calls from people saying, oh, you know, Andrew, I just was with somebody who's undetectable. I think I need to get tested. I'm really worried. Or, Or even the opposite. I'm on prep and I was with someone who told me they're HIV, you know, have HIV. And I don't know if they're undetectable or not. And I'm like, well, that's why you're on prep. And secondly, uh, the person who's undetectable, like it's zero risk. Like, let's be very clear about this. Um, you know, at least for HIV, you know, other STIs mm-hmm. and other CBIs. I mean, you know, that's another story, mm-hmm. obviously, with anyone. Uh, okay. So you're not a complete downer when it comes to sexual health. So you're being like a beacon of light to those that are. No, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, I think people need to have the sex that they want and, and live their lives. And, and we just provide the tools to allow them to do that. And people always sometimes will ask me, what would you do? Or what should I do? Like, you know, should I use condoms? Should I do this? Should I do this? 
And I'm like, no, 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 it's about what you want to do. We will provide you the education, the information, and you can make the decisions that are the best for your, for your, for yourself. Cause you know, you know you better than anyone else, right? Mm -hmm. Harm reduction, baby. (laughs) So knowing what you know with HIV and prevention and treatment and everything, what do you think the future looks like in terms of HIV? Like, do you think it's possible we live in an HIV-free future or like we can finally see an end to this virus? Yeah, I mean, we definitely can. There's been some aggressive targets and like made, you know, national, like internationally and also in Canada to try to reduce that. So basically, you know, get more people getting tested, get more people, get more diagnosis, uh, get more people undetectable, uh, get more people uh, onto prep and things like that. So yeah, I think we could. Um, it's just whether we have the resources and the tools and the effort and the inclination to make it happen. Um, I will say there's definitely a big variation in different countries in access across the world to these places, to these uh, resources and tools. There are some countries where it is not accessible, you know, whether it's just due to affordability and whether it's support, it could also be due to, um, you know, local politicians who, you know, don't talk about sexual health. They don't, you know, there's still some places where they're saying, you know, condoms don't, don't offer condoms and don't, don't teach sex ed and, and all these things. So it's very challenging in those places to kind of, you know, you know, reduce HIV effectively. Uh, But, you know, definitely from a Canadian perspective, I mean, I think we, there's a lot of people were doing a lot of great work. There's a lot of amazing HIV AIDS organizations across Canada uh, and practitioners and, and activists and people who are really working hard to uh, hopefully, you know, a day where we don't have any new infections. Oh my God. Such beautiful, not so miserable words coming from the pharmacist of doom himself. <laughs> <laughs> I have my moments. <laughs> you do have your moments, but I love that you got your moments and then you're here on the show to give us yeah. these beautiful parting words. Um, but if people have not been listening to your beautiful, sexy, hunky voice this last hour, what do you want people to take away from this conversation on HIV and stigma and prep and everything? I think the takeaway would be, I think, two main things. I get three things, you know. The only way to know anything about your about your sexual you know, status is to get tested. Make sure you are. Don't make assumptions. Um, remember, we are all clean. We're all human beings. You know, respect each other. There's ways to discuss things. There's ways to talk to people. Um, you, In the process of that, you know, don't self-sabotage yourself and how you project onto others. And finally, yeah, U equals U. Undetectable is untransmittable. There's zero risk of transmission. You heard it here. Um, I, and I think those are really the three main things that I want people to really uh, take away today. Uh, thank you so much, Pharmacist Drew. You are such a lovely, beautiful, sexy pharmacist and one of my most favorite guests for the show. <laughs> thank you so much again for coming on the show. And where can people find you? Because I can't get enough of you. I'm pretty sure people listening can't get enough of you too. So plug away all your social media, your websites and everything. Yeah, I, I will first say uh, you're one of my favorite hosts. So we're going to give some, oh, comp- thank you. We'll give some feedback back. You know, I can't just all be about me. Um, yeah, no. Um, go. To, you can visit us at preventionclinic.ca. Um, we have uh, online in-person appointments. Uh, we, in, If you're in Toronto or Ottawa, we have in-person clinics as well. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at the prep clinic, uh, and you can also text a uh, call uh, seven days a week until midnight and you can access that information all from our website. Thank you so much, pharmacist Drew, for joining me here today. And to all the listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in. I will see you at the next episode. Bye. Thanks for listening to the sex ed with Tim podcast. Sex ed with Tim is created and produced by me, Tim Lagman. 
Music is Aces High by Kevin McLeod. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at GaySlutClown and at SexEdWithTim. You can also like and follow me on the Sex Ed with Tim Facebook page. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Even better, you can also support the show on Patreon, where you can get early access to ad-free episodes and more. Thanks for all your support, you dirty little slut. Mwah! Thank you.